Ecclesiastes 10. Everybody got notes out there? Everybody need notes? We're all covered? All right. Ecclesiastes 10, verse number 11. And we're going to take this through to the end of the chapter, Lord willing, tonight. Ecclesiastes 10, verse number 11. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment. And a babbler is no better. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. I think that's such an ironic statement. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be, and what shall be after him, who can tell him? The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Yeah, tonight we're going to uh, take this phrase from verse 14, a fool is full of words. And we'll talk about that tonight. Father, would you work in our midst tonight, bless in this passage. I pray that it would be applicable to our lives. We know that your word always is, and so you pray, pray that uh, this truth would come out and that you would protect us in our words, in our language, in our thoughts, in our choices this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started the chapter with dead flies, and now down at verse 11, we're talking about serpents. And how many of you have ever seen a snake being charmed? Have you ever seen that live in person, up close? Ginger's smiling. Um, we, we took uh, last summer when we went to India, we were in New Delhi, and we had a 14-hour layover. And so I took one group into the city, and then I took the rest of the group into the city, and, and we rented a van, and, and uh, I don't remember our driver's name, but it was a crazy day. I just know that. And they took us to all these places, and, and we went to uh, the, the big gate there. The, I don't even know the name of the gate. Anybody know it? Gate of India? Something? Huh? The India Gate? Is that what it's called? But uh, we, you get out of the van right at that spot, and you're mobbed. Um, because you're white and you're in the middle of India and there are already beggars everywhere. And so just to get out of the van, they like swarmed us. And there was a, a girl that would grab your arm and start writing on it because she wanted money to, she gave, gave you such a nice tattoo that she would start writing on you. So she grabbed Sharice Myers and started writing on her. And Sharice uh, was trying to pull away and the girl spilled ink all over her and yeah, we find we got back in the car quick, back in the van, 
And just as I was about to get in the van, I looked down, and like two feet from me, a cobra on the ground, in the act of being charmed, thank heavens. But he was like that far away from me. And one of the ladies took a picture. I don't know if it's Linda or Ginger took a picture. And that thing was like we got back in the car before we took the picture. But my feet have not moved that fast for a very long time. And goodness gracious, I'm glad that snake was charmed. Now, we see here about a serpent that's not charmed. Okay, so if the, if the serpent has not been enchanted or charmed, he will bite you. And then it has this comparison to the snake. It says a babbler is no better. So babblers or gossips or busybodies are compared to serpents in this verse. The first serpent, Satan, was also a busybody. So here we go in your notes. It's hard to charm a snake if he is hidden from your view. He can strike without you even knowing, just like a busybody. Okay, so if you know the snake's there and you're able to enchant him or charm him or chop his head off, then you're good. But if that snake is hidden, then he's got you right where he wants you. And so Solomon gives us some advice here on babblers. And and then he gets into this area of fools. And so babbling and foolishness being compared uh, almost on balance here together that they are pretty close to the same thing. Here's why. Verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Okay? So a babbler is no better than a serpent because he'll strike you when you least expect it. But a wise man is gracious. His words build up. They don't tear down. A wise man's gracious words fill someone else's soul. They don't hurt someone else's soul. And so we begin to see this comparison of wise and fool again, which we've already seen in the chapter. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Look at the comparison at the end again. But the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. Here's what it means. A fool, in attacking other people around him with his words with gossip or tail-bearing or just general criticism. He thinks that he's hurting the people around him, but what he's really doing is destroying his own reputation. Because once people know that you're a babbler and you're a fool and all you do is talk ill of other people, do they want to be around you? No. In fact, they're embarrassed to be around you when you're that way. And so people who used to hang out with you start to shy away from you because they don't want to be around you. And so there's a big comparison, and I want you to note it in your notes. I bet you guys guessed the blank. When a person gives out grace through his words, he not only builds others, but also protects his own character. So it's the opposite of a fool. A fool... When he tries to hurt others, he destroys his own character even more. But a gracious man builds his reputation and his character by building others. That's what God wants us to be. That's what the New Testament's all about. When you get to the epistles, 
And the Apostle Paul tells us again and again about our words and how they edify and they build up and they strengthen and they give encouragement. And when we do that, we build our own reputation. There are times when you hear something about somebody and uh, sometimes your first thought is, he never would have said that. She doesn't talk like that. Why? Because that's the reputation. Now, it could be that they actually did, but chances are better that the person who's telling you this, babbler. Okay? What are they trying to do? Trying to tear down somebody who has a good reputation. That's what babblers do. That's what fools do. They try to pull somebody down, and in doing so, they eat themselves up. I think I've told this story before, but years and years ago, it's probably over 20 years ago, I was supposed to be in a guy's wedding in Austin, Texas. And so I drove all the way down to Austin and, and, um, from Oklahoma, and, and uh, we were going around town, and it was the day uh, of the rehearsal, and the rehearsal dinner. And so uh, I got in his car, and he was driving me through downtown Austin. And uh, there was a guy on the road that was wearing sandwich boards all over his body, like four-sided. And they said, you know, repent. The kingdom of heaven is coming. And uh, you will be judged. And I don't remember what they all said. But I said, look at that guy. Can you believe that? I mean, goodness gracious. And he looked at me. And I've had other people do this. And it turned out it was a joke. He was serious. He looked at me and he said, that's my dad. I started laughing because I thought it was a joke, right? You know how the kids in school, you said something about their mom or whatever, and they say, my mom died. Well, they were just joking. Um, you guys didn't go to the same school, evidently, as I did. <laughs> um, but he, he looked at me and he said, that's my dad. I'm like, yeah, right, it's your dad. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. So a couple hours later, we show up to the rehearsal. That was his dad. <laughs> so... This is an instance where the fool swallowed himself up. Now, his dad, I don't think, knew that I kind of laughed at his sandwich board deal. But the son knew. I mean, he knew pretty well. And sometimes we do that. So we've got to learn to build each other up. And in doing so, we protect our own character. Right? Now, does that mean that you can't ever have a right type of criticism to help people? not what it's talking about. But when you have that right type of criticism, who do you talk to? That person. Right? You talk to them directly. A a talebearer, a busybody, a babbler, they don't talk to you directly. They talk to everybody else. So the Bible says, if if I've got a problem with James Safran, which I normally do quite often, that I have to go directly to James Safran and tell him what my problem is. Okay, I'm just teasing. I don't really have problems with him. He's a good guy. Here we go, verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. Now think about that. Do you remember the story about the wise man and the foolish man? And the song Sunday school teachers taught about it. The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? The foolish man built his house upon the Sand, so it wasn't going to survive, it wasn't going to last because the foundation was sand. The foundation that everything that a fool says is foolishness. 
the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. That's always the foundation. Which means that no matter what you put on top of it, it's not going to be good. Right? It's like putting whipped cream and a cherry on top of a skunk. It doesn't do much for anybody. And it's kind of what this is. You guys obviously have never seen a dead skunk in the middle of the road, right? Is that a Ray Stevens song, Hoss? I think it was. Dead skunk in the middle of the road. All right. How do we get to Ray Stevens? Goodness gracious. Here's what it says in your notes. The fool, or the more a fool talks, the more confident he grows in his own words. But those around him hear only foolishness. That's what this verse is trying to teach us. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is madness, or mischievous madness. So he gets on a roll, and he thinks, I'm zinging. I'm going to town with this. My conversation, I've got the greatest ideas ever. And everybody else is just looking at him like, huh? What are you talking about? They see through the guise that is there of, of wisdom. There is no wisdom there. And then we get to this key verse in verse 14. A fool also is full of words. Can't get him to shut up. A fool also is full of words. You talk about any subject on the planet and a fool will jump in. That sounds foolish. You know, the wisest people I know, they hardly ever say anything. You have to actually pull words out of them. Like you go up and, hey, it's okay, you can talk. Go ahead, just, just ask. Tell me something. You have to pull words from them because they're wise. But a fool, he's full of words. Look at this. It's, it's hard to get this one, verse 14. A man cannot tell what shall be. What that's saying is nobody knows the future, right? Nobody knows the future. And what shall be after him, who can tell him? So here's what it's talking about. And we explain it in your notes. The fool also offers a multitude of words about all subjects as if he knows everything including subjects that no one can know. All right? This is how everybody knows he's a fool. Because he dogmatically and authoritatively gives opinions about things that no one can possibly know. Now, if you have dogmatic opinions about things that no one can know, the Bible says you're a fool. And goodness gracious, a lot of us have been fools from time to time. Have you ever thought that you were pretty well-rounded on all subjects and so you got into a conversation with somebody about a pretty weighty subject? You know what you find out sometimes? You just don't know a whole lot. (laughs) Right? You just don't know a whole lot. I'm reading, uh, Haas and Erlene passed this book on to me about the German cancer treatment. I'm reading in that thing, you know what I figured out, Erlene? I'm not very smart. (laughs) I have to Google some of the words in the book just to figure out what they are. 
Now, their medicine is so over the top over there. And, it, and sometimes we get in these conversations with each other. Don't mess with my mic anymore, boy. I'm going to hurt you. It's my son up there. He's not messing with it? All right, I'm just, it's just where I'm moving around then. Just moving around. I'm getting different peaks, I guess. Now I've embarrassed him. I'm sorry, Dawson. He's been sick. He can't handle being embarrassed on top of that. You good? All right, what are we talking about? Oh, fools. Yeah, that's it. A fool also is full of words. So that illustration fit in really well as we were talking about this. Now look at verse number 15. This one is, is a stunning verse. Now, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he just gets this so right. Have you ever been around someone and you don't know why they annoy you so much, but they annoy you? Like, you can't even really put your finger on it. You're not sure why they annoy you. They're nice enough people. They have a nice enough personality. But every time they talk, you just feel like when your teacher did her fingernails on the chalkboard. Right? Like, please stop. Here's why. This verse tells us. It's so profound. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them. Do you see that? It labor, the labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Here's, here's what it means. How can someone that shows ignorance in the obvious things give advice to those around him? Right? So here's this fool expounding on life to everyone back in Solomon's day. And he doesn't even know how to get to the city. Right? And, and the city is either this way or that way on the path. He doesn't have any idea which way he should go to get to the city. And yet he's telling everyone else how to live their lives. He's got the answer for everybody's life. But he never has the answer for his own life. Which is to shut up and not say anything else. So verse 15, the labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them. And then we switch gears and we go to a different section. We talk about rulers, people in charge of the land, princes, all the way through the end of the chapter. Well, look at verse 16. Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child and thy princes eat in the morning. How many of you like to eat pizza for breakfast? Yeah, I just can't do that. Right? And how many of you can eat a non-breakfasty food for breakfast and you're just fine with that? Man, the only thing I could eat with my eggs that's out of the ordinary is steak. I guess steak and eggs is pretty, pretty normal. You know, you go to other countries in the world, they don't know what breakfast food is. Right? They've got rice, and rice, and rice, right? And chicken with the rice, and something with the rice, maybe chicken, maybe not. And then lamb with chicken and rice, or whatever. There's not much variation. It's basic breakfast, lunch, dinner, all the same thing. 
Now, for us, where we kind of, we, you know, we do weird things. Like sometimes my kids, I'll say, hey, what if we made waffles for dinner tonight? Yeah, doesn't that sound good? Man, I could do that tonight. With pecans in them? Pecan waffles. That's what we should have tonight. Um, I don't know. I just all of a sudden thought of that. But, but Autumn will say to me, Dad, we can't have waffles for dinner. Why, well, why not? Because those are only for breakfast. Right? Now, look at this first. You see the conundrum that Solomon has. He said, when thy princes eat in the morning. It means your princes, your princes are so immature that they don't have any recognition of how life is supposed to work. Here's what we say in your notes. When a leader and his princes constantly behave with immaturity and indulgence, the land will be uneasy. I don't know if you've noticed that America's pretty uneasy right now. And it's because our leaders, that's their verse. They're all about celebrity parties, golf outings, and vacations, and the country's going to hell in a handbasket. You know what I mean? It's issue after issue after issue that's big, big, big issue. And nobody's paying attention. It's like they're just having pizza parties for breakfast. It doesn't make any sense. And that's what Solomon's trying to hit here. He says, woe to thee, O land. So the land, the country, is the one that's going to take the brunt of this issue. When your king is a child, not talking about age here, but talking about maturity. When he doesn't even know the right time to do certain things. right? It's kind of be like if, um, if one of your kids um, got to be the king of the land and all he wanted to do was play in Nintendo all day. Right? It's kind of like what this verse is. He just wants to do whatever he feels like doing all day long and the land is uneasy. And the land hurts. Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child and thy princes eat in the morning. But look at the, the opposite of this in verse 17, Ecclesiastes 10. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Now, Solomon writing this, under inspiration, he gives us some big truths in this passage. But Solomon writing this is also a person who is the son of David. Right? And David, powerful, peaceable, famous king. There was a great noble in the Old Testament. It's David and Solomon. And so Solomon is writing this from his own experience. And he knows, I think he's got an inkling, we've seen it a few times in Ecclesiastes already, that his servant is going to become the next king of the land. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, not from nobility, not a good prince, is going to come back from exile in Egypt and take ten of the twelve tribes and become their king. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, born of nobility, grandfather, David, father, Solomon. And he's going to be stuck with two tribes and not do very well with those. 
So Solomon, I think, is writing some about his own life here. And uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, I mean, he's exactly telling the truth. What's he going to do first thing? He's going to come in and create, you can read up on this, Jeroboam comes in and creates his own religious system so that the people will not go to Jerusalem to worship. So he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invent a new religion. And we're going to say that this golden calf and this golden calf, that there are gods. And we're going to have feasts that correspond with the feasts you used to have in Judaism. But we're just going to have them here in the north. And we're going to call them a different name. And Jeroboam began the process of combining pagan religion with Judaism. And that's where just about every New Age religion has come from since then. So Jeroboam was going to be a fool as a prince. He wasn't going to have it together. He wasn't noble. And so there's some things about verse 17 that I think we should look at. Here's how we say it in your notes. In contrast, virtuous leaders have priorities in the proper order. And the land is happy. Okay, so on the one hand, you have an uneasy land, an immature prince. On the other hand, you have a happy land because you've got mature leaders. Um, You remember, how many of you uh, back, this was in the 80s, but the television ad uh, for running for president um, was about nuclear war. Yeah, boy, that was a hot topic back in the early 80s, wasn't it? And uh, kind of the, the ad itself, uh, it was a Ronald Reagan ad, talked about trust. If nuclear war is, is coming, can we trust this man in the White House? And apparently we could because 49 states voted him back in. The only state that didn't was the home state of the guy who ran against him. And then we had uh, the the phone call uh, of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama back in their primary. The phone rings at 2 in the morning. And do you trust that person to answer the phone? Well, obviously in the Democratic primaries, they didn't have much of a choice there. Right? They have the person that we have now as president who we don't want to answer any calls about anything. Or we have Hillary Clinton. Hmm. That's uh, a toss-up, right? It's a tough one. And, it, and so you're thinking about personal responsibility here. And goodness gracious, Solomon talked about this in 977 B.C. He got this right. And we see it playing out before us all the time. I haven't even talked about Bill Clinton. I'd just rather not do that. Verse 18. By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. Do you know any house still standing after a long time period has been maintained you ever bought a house that wasn't maintained you ever forgot to maintain some things on your own house and all of a sudden they started falling apart left and right 
You're like, this month it's another new one. We've got to replace this, and we've got to replace this. And the maintenance just started eating your lunch. You go over uh, on the East Coast, and of course, here the old buildings are from like 1897, right? The old buildings. You go back on the East Coast, go down to St. Augustine, Florida, they got buildings that were built in the 1600s. Why are they still there? Because somebody has maintained them. Somebody has spent a lot of time and effort to maintain them. You go over to Ireland. They've got houses from 850 A.D. And you can still walk in them and look at them. Why? Because somebody maintained it. You go in the Holy Land and they've got walls and houses from three or 4,000 years ago. China, other parts of the world. They've got dwellings that have been around that long. Why? Because somebody maintained it. What happened to the ones that weren't maintained? They're gone. They're covered by dust. Did anybody knock them down? Some teenagers might have thrown some rocks at them. But they basically just decayed. They just fell apart. Do you remember... Uh, there used to be a barn out on 12th Avenue, and if you're driving this way, it looked like it was smiling at you. We used to call it the happy barn. And uh, finally, all of a sudden, somebody tore it down or it's gone, but it had a big gap in it. It was kind of sagging. There's a barn on the way up to uh, Cascade. And every time we drive by it, my wife and I, have a, we go back and forth on this thing. I, I always say that barn is about to fall over because it's like leaning like this. And she says it can't fall over. It's too full of stuff because you can see the stuff just oozing out of it. And I think someday it's actually going to go all the way over because of the weight of the barn. But you know why that barn has decayed? Because nobody cared to keep up with it. And so this picture, this word picture in verse 18, is so powerful for us. We'll tell you why. In your notes, neglect causes more problems in nations, churches, and relationships than any other thing. It is not normally deliberate actions that hurt relationships. It's just neglect. It's not normally deliberate actions that hurt churches. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's just neglect. And it's the same way with nations. It's the same way with governments around the world where we just don't take care of things. Have you ever been in a city where you thought, man, they really take care of things around here? And the streets always have fresh pavement. The lines are always painted just right. Things are coming together, and then you drive on another street, and you hit a pothole every 10 feet. I mean, every 10 feet. And it's been neglected. Why? Because whoever was in charge, that wasn't a priority to them. Neglect is one of the worst things because it's tough to notice. It's kind of like drifting. You don't really notice drifting from the shore for a while. But how many of you ever been out on a raft or a boat or something that was drifting and all of a sudden you looked up and you could barely find the shore 
Yeah, that, that's what neglect does. And when we neglect in our relationships, it's so hard sometimes to get back to shore. It's such a big effort to get it all back together again. And so the lesson here for us is don't neglect those things. And we, we know this about vehicles and we know this about houses but we should know this about families. We should know this about raising children. We should know this about relationships. My wife and I, anytime we go on a trip and we're away from the kids, we come back. It seems like for the first couple days that we're back, that the kids have all of a sudden grown new rebellion in their hearts. Right? It's kind of like they didn't have a thumb on them. And so you've just got to whip them into action those first couple days back. And now they know the secret. I shouldn't have told it from here. But you got to really enforce some things those first couple days back because otherwise it slips. Neglect. And a, a, I think there's so many places where Solomon talked about this in Proverbs. He said, I went by the field of the slothful man and the wall was broken down and there were briars and there were weeds, and it wasn't taken care of. And what's going to eventually happen to that entire field? It's going to be ruined. It's going to be wasted. That's so neglect. Then we get to verse number 19. And this is still about leadership. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Let me explain this one to you in your notes. Foolish leaders are not fiscally responsible as long as they have enough for their own feasts. So as long as they can keep their party going, they don't care what's happening with the nation. Now tragically, we see this happening in Washington, where many of our senators and many of our representatives are living just this way. As long as their cocktail parties are still going, as long as the lobbyists are still paying for their plane tickets, as long as things back home are cushy, they don't really care to fix much of anything. And it's a tragedy. It really is. There are some of them who really do want to fix things. And they really do care about our national debt. And they really do care about our deficit. But others, they, they just don't even care and uh, that's what this immature leadership shows again, is as long as there's money to spend, some people aren't going to be fiscally responsible. And uh, we see this happen in a personal way, sometimes in a family way, where, have you ever said this? Yeah, maybe your spouse or somebody around you say, he's not going to change until he hits rock bottom. Right? Until he totally runs out of everything like the prodigal son. And he's sitting there at the swine trough, considering eating the scraps out of the pig trough. And then maybe he'll change his life. But as long as he's being funded, as long as there are resources there, he's not going to change. And that's describing a fool. Someone who lacks personal leadership. Personal leadership is you leading yourself. If you can't lead yourself... I promise you, you can't lead anyone else. And uh, sometimes we get it backward. We think that a title makes us a leader. No, personal leadership is what makes you a leader. Verse number 20. 
Now, having said all of that, it's so interesting that we end with this verse. It really is. Look what it says. Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. Well, that happens all over America, doesn't it? Rich people get cursed in a lot of bedchambers. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice. The NSA shall read your computer. And that which hath wings shall tell the matter. All of a sudden, you're getting a call from somebody at the IRS. You want to start a what organization? And all of a sudden, the Secret Service are calling you and saying, what did you say about the president? Curse not the king. It's interesting that it's right at the end of this. Solomon has just covered irresponsible leadership. He's just said, here's what an irresponsible leader looks like. And then he says, curse not the king. Now, because he was a king, we have to kind of think that there was some possibility that there were some people who didn't like his leadership and that he had heard about it. The queen of Sheba, she came and saw his leadership in 1 Kings 10 and she said, it's amazing. I'm astounded. Your servants are happy. Everything's in order. You've done everything you're supposed to do. And she went away and she, she just was blown away by the whole thing. But there were some people who probably didn't like Solomon because he was rich, because he had everything, because at some points of his life, he threw away a lot of resources. And he went after a lot of things to fulfill his soul. And people watched, and they saw that. So he says, curse not the king. And I believe we do get a biblical principle here as we close out. This is actually seen in a couple of places. Exodus 22 mentions it, um, where Moses was giving the law and he was talking about revile not the gods not God in heaven but the leaders of the people Uh, also the Jews kept that tradition all the way in the book of Acts and so we say this last live with a submissive heart even under foolish leadership live with a submissive heart even under foolish leadership this doesn't mean that you can't be a good citizen that you can't have a voice It doesn't mean that you can't give your opinion, but it means that God, for whatever reason, has allowed this leader to be in charge, and so you have to live with submissive heart. And uh, so this is a tough time in our nation to be able to do these things. And on a Sunday night, we would maybe talk about some of those issues like we did tonight, not trying to be way too political or be divisive, but using those as examples because they're readily at hand. And we've got to, in our lives, try to pay attention to things and not neglect them. Solomon says in a different passage to his son in Proverbs, he said, make sure you know the state of your flocks. Make sure you know what's going on in your life. Don't neglect things. I don't know if you've ever not changed your oil for a while in your car and you keep thinking you know what I need to change my oil and you keep thinking I need to change my oil and all of a sudden 
dead on the side of the road. Right? Or you need to change your brake pads, you need to change your brake pads, and all of a sudden you're going down a mountain, you don't have any brakes. Neglect is what destroys. And so I hope you'll grasp that from the lesson tonight from Ecclesiastes. What a powerful passage it is. Well, let's stand, and we'll be dismissing a closing word. And I'll go home and eat some pecan waffles. You know what I'm saying? Pecan waffles. Where are they? Is that Waffle House? Thanks, pecan waffles. How many have ever been to Waffle House? Now, some of you folks have never lived. Goodness gracious. That's a place right there. You know what I'm saying? The requirement that they used to have is the waitress had to have at least two teeth. And um, she could wash her hair if she wanted to once a week. So it's kind of a requirement. It's, it's moved a little bit since then. At the, they're at the Waffle House. Some of you are looking at me like I'm serious. I, I just, just met. can't. It's hard to separate these things, right? Pray for uh, Marilyn Griggs. Um, had, had a, her sister's husband passed away, and her and Forrest are going to be traveling uh, to Winnemucca later in the week. And uh, just having a really tough time. So pray for each other. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that you would be with your sheep here at Centennial. We pray for Marilyn and her family. We pray for Haas and Erlene as they travel this week. And we pray that your will would be done in this treatment. We thank you that they have the opportunity to go. And we pray that you'd be a wonderful time of renewal in their lives. Be with uh, those who are ailing tonight. And we pray that you just protect each one who's traveling. Guide us safely to our homes. Help us not to neglect the things that are important in our lives. Throughout this week, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.